Yes, welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here. Great to be with you and great to be with these fine panellists. On Zoom from Melbourne is Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. G'day, Paul. G'day, fellas. And uh, zooming in with his fancy new set of wheels, uh, Simon Johnson. Thanks for the lift, Jono. Anytime, Rochi. And uh, look forward to playing Lewis Hamilton a little later on in the, uh, in the, when Let's I get behind it. the wheel. Might take us a while to get home, I think. <laughs> and doing his own uh, Zoom Zooming to pinch the uh, advertising line from the late 90s, uh, David Gill. G'day, Bear. How are you going? I'm well and proud to be driving a Mazda 2. <laughs> Good on you. Now, uh, team, before we get started, I've, I've got to tell you, I'm reeling. I, I received an email during the week saying that my footy tipping was now the property of the Walt Disney Company. Your footy tipping? My footy tipping. Can you right. believe that? Wow. You know what's happened? So footy, footytipping.com.au, you know, very innocent backyard mm. kind of operation 10 years ago. Some years ago it was bought by ESPN, who have been now in turn been bought by the Walt Disney Company. Wow. So I got an email relating mm. to my footy tips. And as a, one of our Twitter followers, Kev, quite rightly pointed out, my tipping always has been a bit Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> you took my line. You took my line. <laughs> it's, a, it's the quick and the dead, Steve. Coming up in the show, the decline in sports viewership. Uh, the Aussie Open, now it's been run one and boot upon. A look at cricket test scheduling. And, of course, we wrap it up with red card, yellow card, where we bring back into the spotlight various off-field indiscretions that the uh, perpetrators would rather us leave alone. Uh, please use the hashtag RCYC if you see one to let us know. Now, speaking of the socials, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at for and against underscore. Uh, email if that's your thing at for and against. Sorry, let me start that again. Email for and against at hotmail.com, the uh, at bit in the wrong spot. Jono, uh, you're a co-president of, of, of uh, social, social media, not in, social security. What's the other one? Instagram, Rochi, four.and.against. Ah, uh, yes. And our Facebook page, just for and against. Mm. I, I'm interested to know, Rochi, how many emails mm. are we getting on that Hotmail account? Uh, look, we need to do a bit of an audit on that. Yeah, good point, actually. Look, enough that I, could, I can keep on top keep of the open. time being. Excellent. But uh, yeah, feel free. Always open to, to feedback. Good and bad. Constructive criticism. Uh, comments. Compliments. All that sort of usual jazz. All right, folks. Let's get into the show. It's, uh, it's, it's going back a couple of weeks now, but it's hard to let the spectacle of Super Bowl LVI or whatever we're up to, I'm not really too sure, uh, to go past. Not the game, of course. Who cares about that? I mean, that falls foul of our charter, you know, being everything off the field of play, but just the whole show and, and well, also the unavoidable decline in viewership. Now, 100 million odd people usually watch the Super Bowl, but that number is falling apparently. It is, Rochi, it is. So it was Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, all the signs were for a blockbuster. You had a matchup of the two best quarterbacks in the game. Um, the weather across the country was freezing. It usually, I think, drives people to watch sport a little bit more. You had a halftime act. I know Dave's a massive fan of The Weeknd, um, and he'd spent $7 million of his own funds um, on the show. How can you have The Weeknd on a Monday, though? Ah, boom, boom. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> You're a bias and oh, oh. as you As you said, it was a bit of a fizzer, both on and off the field. So on the field, 31-9 to the Buccaneers and probably one of the, the worst Super Bowls in, in a long time. But the ratings is the story, I mm. think, and, and whether or not this is a sign of things to come. So there were 91 million viewers uh, on CBS, and that's the lowest. That's a lot of people. It's a hell of a lot of people, but it's actually the lowest on broadcast TV for 15 years. 
you might say, well, what about all the streaming well, I services? I was just about to say that very thing. There were 96 million. So, I mean, that's a hell of a lot of viewers. But mm. 96 million on other platforms. But even combined, that's actually the total lowest audience since 2007. Wow. And only 38% of houses with a TV were actually tuned to the game, the only. lowest since 1969. Oh, okay. So, yeah, look, there's been a fair bit written about this and whether or not this is actually a sign, not just of American sport, not just of the NFL, but that COVID or whatever it might be is having a massive impact on viewership of sports. And if so, why? Well, I think this is the proof, isn't it? This is the proof. that I, I don't agree with you at all that it was a fizzer on the field. We were watching one of the great sporting achievements ever. Tom Brady, seventh Super Bowl. He must be 112 years old by now. 43, maybe. Mm. Yeah, damn. Jeez, he does, doesn't he? It's really... It's, it's, it's something really annoying about that. But, he, but, but <laughs> what he did, he settled a, an age-old debate about whether he was just in the right place at the right time and a, a system quarterback, you know, for the New England Patriots winning his first six Super Bowls because of the coach. Well, he goes and joins, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are a pretty middling team last year, and he wins the whole thing. So it should have drawn a crowd. It sh- and he was up against Patrick Mahomes, who's just as good as it gets, was expected to blow him off the park, and Brady stood up and took him down with all of his experience. It should have drawn a massive crowd, and it didn't. And you know why? Because there's a well, two reasons. First of all, because Dave's halftime act was rubbish, and second, <laughs> because there's <laughs> an brilliant. asterisk on this season. Ah, uh, rubbish, rubbish. Are you part of the? Um, because it was slightly different. You can't, you can't uh, bestow upon these champions the the t- title of true champion, it, irrespective of sport. Not just talking about NFL here. Obviously, I, I take it. It's not me. It's the 96 million. Well, it's not. It's the, it's the 10-odd million that were down from last year. Look, just a little more seriously, it's the young people. You know, 18 to 49 has dropped from 52-odd million in 2011 to 34-odd million uh, this year, right? Uh, last year was 38. Yeah, yeah it's, it's dropping. Young people are just less interested in, in, in traditional sport. And it's, it's symptomatic of a deeper malaise in sports generally. So if you look at US figures generally, Stanley Cup finals um, ratings 61% down on the previous year. NBA finals ratings down 51%. Baseball had its lowest World Series numbers mm. ever. And the 2020 US Masters had its lowest ratings in over half a century. Those are like those are all solid gold sporting events, and they're all getting smashed. So doesn't it lend itself to the theory that this is just a blip? We're going to listen back to this show in five years' time and go, well, that was just an obvious uh, byproduct of the the weird year that we had. That people weren't necessarily in their usual groove. They weren't going out to hang out with their usual friends and family to watch these things and what have you. It's yep. it's all part of the big blip that was 2020 and the first bit of 21. I, I mean, my view is the first answer is, yeah, absolutely, there's a COVID element to it. And the COVID element is the games are being played at unusual times. The seasons are a little bit different. People are, The teams are playing in bubbles. Um, there isn't the the fans that are in the stadium, so you don't get the same buzz. And I know that shouldn't have an impact on TV viewership, but it just generally does because you don't have the same levels of excitement. So I think that's one issue. But I think what Ryle says about um, the youth, uh, Gen Z, whatever we want to call them, I think that's a massive problem. People just don't, young people don't have the attention span. I mean, how how many 18 to 25 year olds, or even you know the up and coming sport, sporting fans? 
you're going to sit down and watch a whole NFL game, which takes three or four hours, or sit sit down and watch a in Australia a rugby league game. Well, I'm they're doing my, it. I'm doing my bit with my kids, Jono. What are you doing? You, your kids are outliers when it comes to this, <laughs> <laughs> and you've trained them very, very well, and I credit you for that. Uh, yeah, I'm afraid yeah, well, my, my kids are too busy watching YouTube and Netflix, and I, I don't know that I can blame them. Yeah, you know, I, th- I, I, I think there's something. This year does have an asterisk for for it, it sterilised sports, sitting it in bubbles. You just didn't have the same sort of momentum of stories, mm. and it, it was it was seen as being uh, put on for the sake of the show. There was an almost an artificial element yeah. to a lot of seasons. You look at, I mean, rugby league. So it was kind of forced on. Volandis, you know, pushed it through, and he made a lot of uh, song and dance about the fact that he was going to make it happen, and he did. Um, so there was this, and part of the rationale and part of the appeal for money from governments was the people need this kind of thing. It's a salve to sort of help them get through this tough time and so on and so forth. So I think there's maybe just, there, there, might, there may well be a view out there amongst part of the spectating uh, audience that it was just a little bit artificial. It was put on for the sake of it and it's maybe also, at the expense of some other things that perhaps that shouldn't have been done. It's, it's also maybe an element of just saturation and too much live sport on TV. And if you look at the English Premier League, so their their figures for 2020 average game were down because for the first time ever in the UK, all of the games were live on TV. And they've always had this thing in the UK with with Sky where they would have a... I can't remember exactly. Steve might remember. They would have have like three or four live games each weekend, but they didn't show all 10 of them. Um, That changed this year. So the the average... the, 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 The ratings for on average per game going down, for the big games actually increased by 8%. But there's just so much sport on TV. Don't they have, didn't, don't they, in the UK they have that sort of the 3pm Saturday game is always not shown, something like that? Like some, uh, it harks back to you know something in the 60s or 70s where that was the right thing to do because everyone else is supposed to be playing, but it's carried through. Yeah, then they started with a Sunday live game and then there were two Sunday live games, then there was a Monday live game, then mm. there was a Saturday night live game. So they ended up kind of only having four... Saturday afternoon games, um, but there's, still, they didn't show them all. There's also um, there's a bit of a COVID element. I, I read somewhere, I think it was in the New York Times, they were saying that with everyone working from home over the past 12 months, you, you find that viewing habits just aren't as linear as they used to be. So mm-hmm. you'd kind of associate the weekend with you know watching a little bit of sport. And in actual fact now, because there are no divisions between work and home, you're just streaming things or watching things at different times. And so people don't adopt the same habits that they used to. So, I mean, that hopefully that means that things can come back. I think there's some positivity to come out of all of this, though. If you look at the Australia-India test series recently, the, the ratings for that were the best mm. um, summer TV ratings that we've had. High Channel 7. Probably, <laughs> probably because the cricket was so good. Um, which was really good. And I think just quickly, the other one was the Formula One. So Formula One ratings have been sensationally good. So the 2020 season was apparently one of the best um, in recent years. Well, and I'll add to that, the AFL Grand Final and the NRL Grand Final were both up on last year. So while overall viewership was down, that was largely because of the truncated season. Um, You know, Australians still turned up for the, the Grand Finals. So, yeah, maybe it's still a cultural thing. Paul, your, your uh, traditional... Um, values are still holding strong while the rest of the world moves uh, onto the small second screen instead. Just come with me. Come follow me. You can't go wrong. Um, and before we leave this, I just did want to come back to the uh, the asterisk because I think that's that, that's a, a question worth looking at mm. a little bit more. So I'm of the view that there is no asterisk because everyone went through 
the same trials and tribulations, every player or every team. Sure, some had to fly elsewhere when others didn't, but you get that every season. You get the Frio Dockers and you know the Eagles complaining all the time about them having to travel, for example. So there's always an inequality in any season. It rained over there, it didn't rain here. You know, we had to travel there, they didn't have to travel there. And this is just another season. So it's a bit of a, it's quite a pronounced difference, obviously. But the, the, the teams that won, the players that won, still won fair and square against the best the opposition could put up. Rub out that asterisk. It's I very think noble we, of you. We need to come back um, to this in 50 years' time in for and against episode 776 yeah. or whatever it might be, and we can, we can let's debate that. Okay. And, and I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on the side of the asterisk. There's absolutely an asterisk, and I think that's a very noble sentiment of yours, Rochi, but there's just no doubt. I mean, AFL being the easy example, we've talked about it before, but... Um, you know, some teams were horribly disadvantaged with the way the scheduling was set up. The rules are different. They were 20-minute um, quarters. 16 so instead 16, of 20. 16-minute yeah. quarters. So it's, it, it's a Everyone different Everyone had the 16-minute quarters. I know, I Everyone know. knew that there was going to be 16-minute quarters. It's not something they sprung on them halfway through the third term. There were no crowds. I, I don't know. It's always going to be asterisks to me. I, I'm going to put an asterisk on there as well, but I'm going to put an asterisk on the asterisk. Because, and we might get him on the show sometime if we can. I was talking to Frank Panisi, the football manager at the Melbourne Storm. Yeah. And, and I tell you what, it's a little bit more, Paul, than, you know, it, it rained during certain games. You know, they were away from their families for, I think, three or four months, um, set up their own compound on the Gold Coast. It was brutal. That was like they, they traversed a volcano while it was erupting. And what? they won. So he actually values last year even more than a normal season. But everyone else who lost, asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, interesting. I mean, you could debate this for hours. And, Gilly, maybe your point's correct. We just have to come back and revisit this in 50 years' time. Well, last show, we marvelled at Melbourne managing to get the Aussie Open happening. and But for a few days of lockdown thrown in to remind the world how to run a pandemic... You'd have to say it, uh, well, by and large, went off without a hitch until, that is, the presentation of the men's trophy to Novak Djokovic. Who wants to take us through that little debacle? Steve-O, come on. You're a resident Melbourne tennis person. I am. I, I look, I'm very proud of Australia for putting on, you know, the, the first major of the year. I'm very proud of Victoria. For, um, for managing to do it with crowds for nine out of the 14 days. Um, but boy, boy, did we put on uh, a, just a terrible example of, uh, of how we follow sport. Um, it was a terrible tournament for fan behaviour. We had, uh, just in the final, we had the booing of Djokovic. We had the booing of the tournament director. Again, both of those with a bit of history, you might let them both off. Then we had them booing the main sponsor when she mentioned the Victorian government oh, and the mm. vaccine. That wasn't and, good. And, and it, 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 just, it just got worse and worse. And I, I sort of go back a little bit to um, Daniel Andrews saying, we've got to put it on because we're worried someone will take it from us. Well, I'm just wondering if someone will take, us, take it from us for being horrible sports fans. Well, oh, I suspect that rubs. that probably won't happen. Surely the the lady in question uh, who who raised the vaccine and the government who got booed, surely she should have just turned to Novax and gone, "Fans of yours." Yeah, because I mean, it's oh. there was it was 
It was it was the people who reacted in the in the way they did to that little piece of information. Who and, clearly and I mean, if it's really if Stephen's problem is booing Djokovic, I mean that that should be a national pastime. Yeah, nothing, wrong, I mean, nothing wrong with that. I mean, we're all Nick Kyrgios fans, and you know, <laughs> wasn't Djokovic kind of kind of reaping what he sowed a little bit though? Not not only from his pre-tournament. Um, COVID comments and his kind of ill-advised um, COVID tournament last year, but his behaviour at the Australian Open in the previous year, mm. which was absolutely despicable. Agreed. So it was a little bit of payback. And I think the I think the people who were booing the vaccination comments, they were the diehard Novak supporters mm. who were kind of stand, standing by their man. So I, mm. I think it's a little bit of a storm in a teacup. Oh, I don't know. We had... We, got, we had fans ejected throughout the fortnight for yelling in the middle of points. We, we, you talk about, you know, okay, booing Djokovic, maybe, maybe that's okay. We had someone ejected for giving the middle finger to Rafael Nadal. That is, that is true. She looked like she may have had a couple of drinks. <laughs> she, did, you, did you? Can I can I say what what she? Please. How yeah. she described? Well, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll put yes. it through the editing suite later. Yeah. yeah. Block your ears, Reggie. You OCD f bomb. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Right. Very nice. Yeah, I yeah. made a point pretty clearly. Mm. Uh, can I say, I mean, it's interesting you, you guys describing uh, what happened on the court. I hardly watched any tennis over the fortnight, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I watched a couple I might of have had any, the final. I might have had an impact be. on the uh, decline in, in ratings. I'm not yeah, sure. I think I watched three points. All right, okay. Good to yeah. see we're all... I've got to come from a great position. We're all being desperate on. for some sport to watch, and there it was. So you gave Novak's tournament an asterisk, Paul? Oh, no, he won fair and square. It's just that I didn't watch it. Oh, so I suppose that's an asterisk. If I didn't watch it, did it really happen? Is that what you're saying? Um, <laughs> yes, Steve, I'm not really too sure that much of that's going to threaten our ability to hold on to the, to the, um, to the, to the tournament. Is it a serious threat, though, is it for, for us to lose the tournament, or is it just some sort of um, internal scaremongering to, to make us all get on board? Look, I, I think it's a little bit of scaremongering, but I'll tell you how it could happen, yeah, quite realistically. If... If Australia, if the Australian Open had the the uh, series of events that happened in the seventies and early eighties, where none of the top players turned up, you would get a ripple effect mm. on sponsors, on on TV ratings, and then you right now because tradition has gone, and I mean it a little bit about the fans because we've lost some of the tradition that says certain things matter. All of a sudden, it could be said that, you know what, the Australian Open is actually the Grand Slam of the Asia Pacific. We're going to take it to Shanghai or we're going to take it to Singapore, Tokyo. which is closer to the middle of... And, and I think that could happen. But wouldn't, we'd have to make a mistake to let it happen. A big one. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't Wouldn't you say... I mean, Wimbledon's the, the king of the Grand Slams for sure with daylight second. But I would have thought in the last 10 years that the Australian Open has been number two for sure. I mean, the yeah. US Open has empty stadiums for most of the tournament and the French Open has a full stadium for the finals and, and that's about it but it's, uh, I, I've always and the the quality of tennis at the Australian Open because of the the surface is always is always so great I've, I've felt it's been in a very good place yeah Rosa when you reference the dark days of the 70s and maybe into the 80s but obviously a lot of money has been spent since then and, and yeah to, to Gilly's point in my understanding is it rates very well amongst the players as well well, it does, but that right there's the thing, right? If if coming is too hard for the players or they don't enjoy it because they get they get booed, then all of a sudden it's it oh, loses its major attraction, petals. which is being the players' grand slam. Poor petals. Maybe it's Kyrgios's grand plan: boo ah. them all, and then he'll be the last man standing. Yeah, get exactly. his grand slam. Exactly. 
Oh, well, it seems like we ah. set an interesting template for the rest of the world. Go on, Steve. No, no, I'm, I'm hoping I'm making, uh, you know, uh, a big deal out of nothing. I really do. Mm. Oh, it wouldn't be the first time, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we got you on the show, actually. <laughs> uh, all Well, look, hopefully we've set a template there for the rest of the world. It'll be interesting to see how the other tournaments go, um, whether the vaccine gets in in time for them to, to run properly. But um, we shall see. And, uh, look, he's hoping that a couple of boos don't prevent Australia from hosting the Australian Open in 2022. On to the shootout now, where we uh, cover a few topics in a quickfire session. Now, someone here has written in the run sheet, cricketing shed, cricket scheduling. I, 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 what's this all about? I'm, I'm, Australia, New Zealand 2020s are uh, going on or just behind us, depending on uh, when you download this. Uh, there's plenty going on. Uh, it's, it's, what, what do you, what do you want to talk about, Jono? Yeah, I'll tell you, Richie. Please so it's, it's Cricket Australia and South African cricket. They're having a bit of a Barney. Well, they've they had. had. Well, they've had a bit of a Barney. We refused to go. We refused to go, so we, we cancelled the tour at the last minute. Um, South African Director of Cricket, Graham Smith, said the relationship is definitely strained at this stage. There is an effort. There was an effort from our side to engage and set up a meeting at board level. Engagement needs to happen to improve things between South Africa and Australia. And I think the issue that the South African team is is similar to issues that other... Um, teams around the world, including West Indies, have, which is that cricket seems to be dominated by the big three at the moment. Well, it is. Well, to, 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 the, to the expense of the broader broader game, I think, is the, is the big issue. I know there were some particular circumstances here. Cricket Australia said they couldn't guarantee the health and safety of the players due to COVID. Which is a pretty good reason. It is. Well, it is and it isn't. No, it is. It is. Yeah. But I'm not they, arguing they, with you. I'm just explaining why I'm right. They were saying, <laughs> no, but I mean, look at it from their point of view. They were setting up biosecurity bubbles. They were doing mm. everything in the same way that we did sure. in Melbourne uh, and in the same way that sporting events around the world have done. And we will expect South Africa to come to Australia in 10 months' time um, when they're due to a tour. Uh, might be a little bit longer than that. I think we've yeah. got the ashes. But, yep, we do. But whenever it is that, that they're coming around next. And I think if, if we're going to treat other nations like that, it could go badly for us. It's pretty arrogant from the Aussies, I have to arrogant. say. I think you just play the COVID card, but I can see Steve dying to get in here. Oh, I agree with, with Simon 100%. You know, we go out of our way to find a way to the UK in the middle of COVID. We found a way to bring India to Australia. We also found a way to cancel Afghanistan's test in Australia. Um, last year, before COVID, we found a way to cancel going to Bangladesh on the day before um, I, I do worry we're getting into a, uh, a situation where Cricket Australia is ignoring sort of international grassroots cricket and, and they'll there, pay for that in the long run. Isn't there an obligation on us under this sort of four-year plan, rotating plan, or whatever well, to, it wasn't this set up only in the last year or two to make sure? There was, but I think COVID has complicated that and I think what's happening is similar to, to other sports is that the available dates for fixtures in the calendar are getting more and more compressed because of the IPL mm. and other T20 tournaments. So if a tournament, as has happened with Australia's tour to South Africa, is cancelled, 10 years ago you could delay it for a month or maybe do it some other time. And the language from the Aussies is that it wasn't cancelled. It was just per- postponed, but inevitably it's cancelled. Mm. It's, it's permanently yeah, it's postponed. Yeah. Well, I mean, it'd be good. I, it, you know, it'd be very good if... Uh, 
big big teams play little teams. I agree, but I suppose there's a commercial element that uh, well, it needs to be forced. Well, it needs to be forced. It, it's not. Just, I think that's a bit trite to say it like that, Rochi. It's more than it would be good. It's about the survival of the game. Do we really mm-hmm. want? Um, it's to be good. But do, yeah. we, do we want cricket in ten years' time just to be between those three nations? Um, it'd be pretty boring. Agree. Totally agree. Moving on. Uh, Money in football in China. Gilly, I know you're a bit of a China expert and you love your football, so I'm interested in your comments on this. Um, People may not be aware, but in a bid to dominate the world, (laughs) I think that's a fair statement, China China has been busy trying to dominate world football over the last last decade or so, and in that time a number of Chinese corporations, which of course is code for an arm of the uh, CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, party, has been investing in big-name clubs around the world, I think I'm right in saying, Gilly, with the aim of building exposure to the best of international practice, blah, blah, blah. But now the tide has turned. The money is flowing back out of those clubs. They're, they're, they're selling their stakes. What's going on? Well, t- two things, I think. Number one was that China did indeed want to become a world footballing superpower. Um, it's all well and good being number one in the world in table tennis. But that doesn't, um, that doesn't have quite the cachet that, that football does. But that, that ambition has been a spectacular failure. China has mm. just not performed on the international stage at all. I think they've, they have not made the World Cup any time in, in recent memory. Really haven't performed well in the Asian qualifiers at all. So that hasn't gone down well. And secondly, it's just an illustration of the, the command and control style of mm. the Chinese economy and entrepreneurs kind of do what they told and if they don't um, they get into trouble and we're seeing it um, in football investments we're seeing it with the um, with the, the the big China technology companies so Jack Ma Jack Ma in big big trouble with the the, the world's biggest IPO cancelled on short notice because the Chinese Communist Party felt like um, Alibaba and and financial services were getting too big for their boots. So I think this is just a, a manifestation of, of the way things are done in, in China. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it just occurred to me then, but China and India, two biggest populations in the world, have got two and a half bill easily. Neither, they're both rubbish at, at the world game. <laughs> they are. What's the story there? That's, we'll have to put that down for the next show. Oh, maybe. I think if India stopped being so interested in cricket, perhaps that's a start. But what's it? It's it's what cultural? Any insult? Football's obviously just not not a, not a big thing over there. I would have thought it's it's reasonably popular. I mean, they've got their own league. As I say, they've spent a lot of money on offshore offshore clubs as well. Mainly European clubs, but it just hasn't clicked. I I don't think sport is that big mm-hmm. in China. Like sport up until recently, even cricket wasn't really that big. In India, for the average Indian person, it was like cricket was popular for upper classes, university educated mm. people. But for the average man in the street who was just trying to survive day by day, sport wasn't really a big feature of their lives. Maybe it's similar in China. I think Stephen might have a theory. I, I, I just think um, you've got to be careful when you deal in percentages. So, you know, if 6% of China likes football, then it's probably more than the entire population of the UK. Uh, it's the same with India and cricket. You know, there's if you look at the middle class in uh, and just by Australia's measures, you know, you still have multiples of the population of Australia. So I, I get what Dave's saying. It's not as endemic to the character of the country. I mean, I think cricket is pretty endemic to, to India's character, but in in China, you still only need a small percentage, and it dwarfs most other markets in in the world. Hmm. Oh, well, interesting to see uh, whether the tide of money continues to flow 
uh, out of those international clubs. And finally on the shootout, uh, an interesting development in uh, baseball. You can invest in a player. It's a bit indirect, but there is a, um, let's just call it for simplicity's sake, a, a managed fund set up. And I'm happy for you guys to, uh, to correct me on the terminology here. That allows pay, uh, the, allows the organisation to, for small upfront payments, invest in future potential, uh, if that's not a tautology, baseball talent. So you know, a player might need fifty or hundred grand to sort of make the big time and make the next step, and you can trade that. And, and this organisation, this fund, will give them that money, give a player that money for a one or two or four percent share of future earnings. And the big news that's brought this to our attention is a Fernando Tatis. Junior uh, has got a new $340 million US contract. I think it's over 14 years. And uh, yeah, he has been uh, signed up, I think is the right right word, of Big League Advance, a group that gives young prospects upfront cash in exchange for a cut of all their future Major League Baseball earnings. The estimate being that they're probably going to get about 15 to 17 million bucks out of it. Not a bad little earner. It's not bad going. Yeah. How good is that? Investing in a investing in a player, and I think this this mob has invested in like might be a th- it's, it's a few hundred, isn't it? What's the? I think it's a few. I just yeah, I think that's right. I saw the article, but there's a few hundred players, so it's a bit hit and miss. It's a it's a gamble, um, but yeah, I mean, God bless the Yanks for coming up with innovative and uh, entrepreneurial ways of and all <laughs> investing based on money and data. So they raised a hundred and hundred and fifty six million dollars, and Goldman Sachs was involved. A few other very high profile people. I think one of George W. Bush's brothers was somehow involved, um, but their model is based on data, so they must be doing some kind of sabermetrics or, or something and analysing minor league baseball stats like nobody else is and picking those players who, who don't look like they are number one draft pick but have a good chance of making it. Mm. Look, I, I suspect there's something in the, the economics that says they only have to get one right in every you know, 25 Correct. or you know, every 100. You know, and that's... Mm. Yeah, worth worth the bet. That Good would odds. be the maths that they're playing. Yeah. yeah, there's an actor in the background somewhere running all those numbers. Yeah, did Gilly did didn't they sort of have this in football not that long ago? The third party ownership was that similar? Same, same, but different. Like you could have a um, uh, a player might play for a club, but they weren't paid for by the club. They were paid for by this third party who had sort of ownership privileges over the player. It sort of fell foul of you fell foul of UEFA rules, and I think FIFA rules eventually. But uh, I think it was it was attempted in world football. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't, blank. I don't remember the um, details now, but it, that does um, ring a bell. Actually, the uh, the now deceased um, pop star David Bowie did something um, similar many years ago, which wasn't actually his brainchild. It was unfortunately when I researched it, it was the brainchild of a banker called David Pullman. Um, <laughs> but he needed cash, so he, Bowie did. But Bowie needed cash because he wanted to. He's he had been kind of tricked by his initial manager, uh-huh. who owned the rights to all of his seventies and eighties albums, the iconic Bowie albums he wanted a big lump of cash to buy those rights back so he sold bonds in the future royalty stream um, of rights he didn't actually own at the time but then used that money to buy the rights paid all the bonds back and then oh, once so the bonds had been repaid 100% of the royalties went, yeah, went cool. to him so he had like a futures contract I'm selling you that I'm selling you the rights to something I don't currently have but if you all give me this money I will have those rights and so I can pay you back. yes yes and it was it was actually um, I wonder how ASIC would, would view that it was rated by Moody's investment oh, great right. <laughs> investment great <laughs> 
Well, the other one that, that I'm just reminded of is Justin Wilson, who unfortunately now uh, passed away uh, accident at uh, in one of the Indy cars. But he was getting into Formula One in let's say 15 years ago, mid 2000s perhaps. And uh, yeah, in order to raise the money, he essentially put himself on the uh, on the LSE, London Stock Exchange. Right. So that's how he funded his uh, his entry into Formula One. Right. So there you go, plenty of uh, innovative ways of uh, of getting yourself into sport. And now let's come back and do red card, yellow card. Yes, red card, yellow card, where, uh, as I said at the top, we enjoy uh, bringing back into the spotlight the indiscretions of sporting types, bring it back into the spotlight uh, that these perpetrators would like hidden in the dark. But no, it's our job to, uh, to <laughs> as I say, shine the spotlight on some silly, silly behaviour from our friends in sport. Steve-O, fire away. What have you got what? for us? Look, I, I was going to nominate the player, but I'm not. I've, I think I'm just in a bad mood with sports fans. I'm actually nominating the fans here. I appreciate that I might fall foul of the rules, but I'm going to try it anyway. So the, the golfing great Tiger Woods has crashed his car. Terrible car crash, so bad. He's really just, he's had to be pried out of the car with the jaws of life. And um, and it looks like he'll be okay, but you know, really, really big smash. If you're following it on Twitter, I hope he's though, going to be okay, Steve. You, you, you can't possibly yeah. nominate a car crash in red card, yellow car. Yes. Go on, if we're following well, it on Twitter. It depends, right? If you're following it on Twitter, I just want to point out he was not being chased by his wife with a one eye. That's not why he was driving so fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did his drive did end up in the deep rough. Um, and uh, and of mm. course, the reason why he does use a putter is because he can't <laughs> drive. Just a, can see where this is going. <laughs> This is just a vehicle that anyway, rolls to try his dad jokes, isn't it? And apparently he needs is, to tra- change his drive. Needs to change his driver as well. I, I saw that floating around somewhere too. Um, hey, hey. Ty, it's a bit bit harsh. It was early in the morning, wasn't it? Our single car bad, accident, bad leg injuries, apparently. Yeah. But yeah, he'll be okay. So I'm I'm not touching this, Riles. It's up to you to nominate a card for this. I, I'm giving Stephen a yellow card. Yeah, it's tempting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As pro- I probably deserve it. I, I've been cranky all day. Yep, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. It's on the record. Uh, Jono, what about you, mate? Surely you can do better than that? Oh, look, I hope so. It's a low bar, Richie. Um, so this is a bit of a painful one for me, uh, being the passionate Manly Seagulls fan that I am. But I'm nominating Tom Trebojevic, the golden child of the Manly Seagulls. Um, a few days ago, he fronted the media and confessed that he'd suffered a grade two hamstring tear. Um, no big surprises there. Tommy's had a few injury problems over the past couple of years. He said, oh, I'm going to miss the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, unfortunately for Tom, though, on social media a couple of hours couple of hours later, some video footage emerged of Tom engaging in a street race. Oh, awesome! By foot at the Manly Corso, <laughs> uh, and he was racing against an unknown punter named Harry. Um, clearly, Tommy had had too many drinks, and Harry actually beat one of the fastest blokes in the NRL. Yeah. So the club was rapidly forced into damage control. They issued a statement saying that Turbo um, definitely wasn't injured in the sprint race and that really was a slip and fall in the shower the next day. <laughs> Tommy came out and said, look, I know it doesn't look good. I was having a few drinks and I was being an idiot on the Corso. I know how it's going to look, but I swear I didn't hurt it then. Look, it's all a bit of a farce, and I'm just glad that Tommy wasn't giving his evidence in a court of law because I'm not sure mm. he would have made the most persuasive of witnesses. Um, but it's disappointing, Rochi, so I'd suggest a, at least a yellow mm. for Tom. Oh, I think a yellow is, is, is fitting. Yeah. But look, you know, who hasn't had a big run up and down the course? Over? And for those not in Sydney, it's a nice wide track. It is, yeah. Good, so, good underfoot. 
uh, especially at 2am. Maybe we should sign Harry up to well, replace him. Good point. Good point. Gilly, far away. All right. <clears throat> I've got a, a legal dispute, so this one might take mm. a little bit of time because it's, it's complicated. Yeah, we've got time. So it's a long-running legal dispute, and it's coming to an inglorious end. Um, in a shock move, Colleen Rooney, wife of footballer Wayne Rooney, oh, right, good. has offered an agreement to disagree settlement to Rebecca Vardy, wife of footballer Jamer Vardy. Is that a legal term, agree to disagree? So it's basically when the combatants in litigation agree that they will both drop hands, as they say in the, in the legal profession. And what she's suggesting is that instead of donating more hundreds of thousands of pounds to their respective legal teams that they both donate to their favourite charity. So it seems like a bit of a desperate move by Colleen um, and perhaps a tacit acknowledgement that Rebecca's libel case against her has some legs. Can we can we go back half a step for perhaps those that aren't quite across this? Did, what's, the, what's the underlying argument? Are oh, you coming to this? I'm getting Sorry, to this. Sorry, mate. Sorry. I'll <laughs> shut up. It all started when Colleen ah. noticed that the Sun newspaper, of course, ah, yes. was reporting, breathlessly no doubt, on details of her life that could only have been sourced from her private Instagram account. And the, the, the people that she invited to this private Instagram account was a very, very distinguished and exclusive mm. coterie. Mm. So using dis- detective skills that have now led to the Sun newspaper dubbing her as Wagatha Christie... <laughs> <laughs> She slowly zeroed in on the target. And after concluding that Rebecca Vardy was the mole, she surreptitiously blocked all of the other followers on her private Insta account and then posted a number of fake news stories and waited to see if the bait had been taken. And sure enough, Uh. those stories appeared in the sun shortly afterwards. And she then immediately on her public Instagram account um, released a carefully worded statement, um, and the net effect of that statement was naming Rebecca Vardy as mm. the culprit. Too much time in their hands. Dump, dump, dump. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Ca- caught red-handed, you might think, but not so fast. Rebecca has furiously protested her innocence, and her skilled legal team has cast doubt on the security protocols within Team Rooney mm. and alleged that the mole may instead be found within their inner circle of advisors, managers, security officers, hairstylists, makeup artists, there's, and or elocution teachers. Could, could be a yes. cyber attack as well. Well, Who knows? good point. And in a first sign of weakness, Colleen's legal team then responded by denying that the express reference to Rebecca Vardy, and this is true, that the express reference to Rebecca Vardy in Colleen's post was not, in fact, a reference to Rebecca Vardy at all. And this was proven by the inclusion of 11 ellipses before the reference to her name in the offending post. My goodness, you're right. This is a long one. Mm. Good thing we've got time. The first instance judge unsurprisingly rejected this argument <laughs> going out long. of hand. It's almost finished. Okay, good. Right Dave's okay. done a case note. <laughs> <laughs> His memories of law school 45 years So the ago. big question now is, will the Vardy team back down or will they go for blood or does Team Rooney have a hidden ace left to play? Wow. Stay tuned. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure who gets to yell at that. Probably, probably, probably me again. Yeah, you for dragging that out and then not being able to deliver a card. Um, I'd like to thank uh, you, though, well, for making a... my nomination look okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I've lost track of it. So who's the it, – it's, it's, it's Vardy who, who did the wrong thing. Mrs. Vardy who – Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly yeah. yeah. Surely we've covered this before on Red Card Yellow I card. think we did. I we want to dish her out a card 12 yeah. months ago. But let's do it again, shall we? 
Yeah. Um, look, let, let me have a crack. Uh, it's quality, quality. You know, you'd think of all the, the, the stuff we had to choose from. We've come up with this. Um, Twitter, uh, Shane Warne, of course. Uh, uh, Warne makes up a disproportionate amount of a number of... Uh, of um, he gets a disproportionate amount of mentions here on Red Card, Yellow Card. Um, there was a bit of a Twitter exchange. So some person, doesn't matter who, uh, made the comment, there are more stars in the sky than grains of sand on the earth. Right? Fairly innocuous and I think probably scientifically true. Um, and then Warney chimes in with, that can't be true, surely. Well, you know, <laughs> maybe just do a bit, quick bit of research there, Warney. Now, oh Graham Corns, uh, a footy player of note, I think it is. It's got a blue tick. I think it's Graham Corns. Yeah. Chimes in with, yeah, my daughter came home from school and told me that. I simply can't believe it. How do you tell an 11-year-old her teacher is wrong? When you don't really know what you're talking about, isn't that isn't that everything wrong with with uh, these these characters? Did mm. you hear that? Did you hear that correctly? How do you tell an eleven year old her teacher is wrong when you don't really know what you're talking about? In other oh. words, you, you're wanting to say no. Is this too convoluted and too uh, esoteric? But um, yeah, look, a couple of sporting champions who maybe need to pick up a science book, basically, is what I'm suggesting, and or keep off Twitter. I mean, I'm not shocked with warning. It's, no, uh, it's terrible. Yeah, Graham Corns. Doesn't, not great. Doesn't have not a lot great. of form, red card, yellow yeah. card. But um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, the lack of ability to believe mm. in, in science. Is that two months in a row for warning? It was the hat, be. wasn't it? Well, someone yeah. dragged in the hat. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Although it was, it was more about the um, Andrew Simon's the hot shame warning yeah. on the hot mic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if we can get him next month as well. And look, seeing as seeing it's been a bit tepid, can I just chuck in a nomination for, for supercars Please, uh, yeah. for running a race at Bathurst that's not Bathurst? So their opening round of the of the season. Uh, on a roundabout now, you've probably uh, seen it by the time you actually download this episode. Their opening round was at Bathurst, the Bathurst 500 or something. Right. You, you, you can't run. Like having a, a test at the MCG, not on Boxing Day. Basically, yeah, or, or two tests. Having a test in mid-December and, and then having them on Boxing Day. Outrageous. There's only one race at Bathurst, Have the supercars, and I'm, I'm just not happy about that at all. I, I'm with you, Paul. That's outrageous. And I, I was going to follow suit with uh, another one uh, about how the Australia has somehow put all of its eggs in the basket of southeast Queensland hosting the 2032 Olympics. But my foot's <laughs> in my mouth because it turns out they're the preferred candidate. Oh, so. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, Brisbane looking good for 2032. Um, but, look, that is it for red card, yellow card, perhaps mercifully, and therefore that is it for for and against <laughs> for another episode. So uh, goodbye, Stephen Riley. Goodbye, everyone. I, and I, I do wish everyone well at the end of the world. The ratings are down, sports disappearing. <laughs> yeah, even red card, yellow card's unreliable. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I reckon we'll be good for another month. Uh, Jono, fare thee well. Thanks again for your company as always. See you next month, Reggie. Gilly, take care out there in the big bad world. Goodbye. Always a pleasure. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Thanks for joining us on For and Against. We'll be back to it all again in a month's time. Until then, it's bye for now. 